Hello, and welcome to the first episode of the Luxembourg History Podcast, brought to you by RTL Today. My name's Tom Tutton, and I'm going to be your host for our first series. So, to begin, we're tackling the ultimate question in Luxembourgish history, which is, of course, how on earth did tiny Luxembourg end up being an independent country? Well, the story begins with the medieval Duchy of Luxembourg, a territory that included the whole of present-day Luxembourg, along with large areas around Arlon and Bitburg, that now lie in Belgium and Germany respectively. It was centred around the Fortress of Luxembourg, one of the most important military fortifications in Northern Europe, and sometimes known as the Gibraltar of the North. The Duchy of Luxembourg was created out of the pre-existing County of Luxembourg in 1354, and it was one of the many hundreds of political entities that existed in Central Europe before the unification of Germany. It was one of the 17 provinces of the Burgundian Netherlands, which in 1482 became the property of the Habsburg dynasty, one of the most powerful families in European history. Now, In 1568, the seven most northerly of those 17 provinces split off to form the Dutch Republic, while Luxembourg and the southern Netherlands, which roughly corresponds to modern Belgium, did not join the Dutch and remained under Habsburg rule. From 1482 to 1795, Luxembourg was therefore ruled from afar by a succession of dukes who were far more concerned with ruling either Spain, the Holy Roman Empire or Austria, or sometimes all three. It's unlikely that any of them actually visited the Duchy of Luxembourg, which is quite typical of medieval rulers. In 1789, the French decided they'd had enough of this way of doing things and had a great revolution which, of course, led to achievements such as the Declaration of the Rights of Man and little mistakes like the Reign of Terror, the execution of Louis XVI and the outbreak of a series of wars that would devastate the continent of Europe for 25 years. In 1795, French armies overran the southern Netherlands, which had belonged to the Habsburgs and included the Duchy of Luxembourg. Luxembourg ended up becoming absorbed directly into France and was governed as the Department of Forêts, that is, of of forests. Not the most exciting title you've ever heard. Then, in 1799, a little general from Corsica named Bonaparte realised he didn't particularly fancy taking orders from anyone anymore, so he decided to overthrow the revolutionary government in Paris and proclaim himself First Consul. Napoleon proceeded to defeat all his enemies apart from Britain, crown himself emperor in 1804, defeat all his enemies apart from Britain all over again, reform the legal system of France and then abolish the Holy Roman Empire which had existed for around a thousand years. Unfortunately for him and for the millions of men in his armies, he then succumbed to that urge which all European megalomaniacs seemed to be unable to resist, which was invading Russia. As anyone who's read, or let's face it, watched, War and Peace will know, Napoleon was comprehensively defeated by the Russian winter and was eventually chased all the way back to France where he abdicated in 1814. So what does any of this have to do with Luxembourg, you may ask? Well, after Napoleon was defeated, the powers of Europe gathered at the Congress of Vienna to decide what to do with the map of Europe. One of their many, many problems was working out what to do with the Low Countries, that is, the lands of modern-day Belgium, Luxembourg and the Netherlands. In Vienna, the European powers decided to unite these territories as the Kingdom of the Netherlands, to be ruled by King William I of the House of Orange-Nassau. To complicate things further, however, Luxembourg was not fully integrated into the new Kingdom of the Netherlands because it was described as mostly German-speaking, with Luxembourgish not being recognised as a separate language at that time. This meant that it was included in the new German Confederation, a loose association of 39 German-speaking states that was created to replace the Holy Roman Empire. Furthermore, Luxembourg would no longer be ruled as a duchy. It would now be a Grand Duchy. 
So why did the European powers choose to elevate Luxembourg to the status of a Grand Duchy? Well, it appears that ego was a prime factor. As the ruler of Luxembourg, King William I of the Netherlands would represent the territory in the Federal Assembly of the German Confederation. It appears that he refused to participate as a mere Duke of Luxembourg, which would reduce him to the level of the many minor duchies that were also recreated at the Congress of Vienna. Instead, he insisted that he should be a Grand Duke, and so, as historian James Newcomer has written, Grand Duchy it was, for no very grand or reasonable reason. The irony of it all was that the new Grand Duchy of Luxembourg was actually far smaller in size than the old duchy. As part of the settlement at the Congress of Vienna, Prussia was granted around 880 square miles, or 2,300 square kilometres, representing 24% of the territory of the former duchy. Prussia also retained military control of the fortress of Luxembourg, as a buffer from which to attack the French if they ever had thoughts of dominating the continent again. Okay, so the year is 1815 and we have a Grand Duchy of Luxembourg which is part of the German Confederation, ruled by the King of the Netherlands and partially occupied by Prussia. Now at the time there were several other Grand Duchies knocking about in Europe. There were six in the German Confederation alone, including the Grand Duchy of Baden and the rather wordy Grand Duchy of Saxe Weimar Eisenach. All six of these Grand Duchies would be absorbed into the German Empire in 1871. And there was also the Grand Duke of Tuscany and the Grand Duke of Krakow, both of which would be absorbed into Italy and Poland respectively. And yet, the Grand Duchy of Luxembourg remains independent until this day. So how is it that tiny Luxembourg managed to survive? Well, things would actually get worse before they got better. In 1830, the southern half of the new Kingdom of the Netherlands decided they really did not like being ruled by King William, as unlike him, they were not Dutch and not Protestants. Thus began the Belgian Revolution of 1830, which resulted in the de facto creation of an independent Belgium by 1831, as Leopold of Saxe-Coburg was brought in as the new King of the Belgians. Luxembourgish representatives apparently did sit in the new Belgian Constituent Assembly, but it's actually quite unclear how far Luxembourg supported the Belgian Revolution, and matters were complicated by the fact that the fortress of Luxembourg remained garrisoned by Prussian troops and effectively under Prussian control, whereas rebels seized control of much of the rest of the territory. Meanwhile, King William of the Netherlands, who seems to have been a bit of a difficult character, staunchly refused to recognise the Belgians' independence and tried to take them back by invading in 1831, causing the French to send troops to support the Belgians. From 1831 to 1839, an endless round of negotiations between the great powers tried to settle the question of what to do about the Belgians. And finally, on April 11, 1839, the Treaty of London was signed. Now, as part of the treaty, Belgian independence was confirmed and Luxembourg remained an independent Grand Duchy under the personal rule of the House of Orange-Nassau. Unfortunately, however, Luxembourg was forced to cede 1,800 square miles, or 4,700 square kilometres, of territory to Belgium. This represented around 65% of the territory of the Grand Duchy, and included towns such as Arlon, Bastogne and Neufchâteau. These lands now form the Belgian province of Luxembourg, which borders, well, Luxembourg, Luxembourg. So, the Treaty of London of 1839 cemented the Grand Duchy of Luxembourg's borders, which have survived to this day. But why did Luxembourg remain independent when every other Grand Duchy did not? Well, Luxembourg's status as an independent nation would be reaffirmed by the Second Treaty of London, which followed the Luxembourg Crisis of 1867. The roots of this crisis were in Prussian Prime Minister Otto von Bismarck's desire to create a unified Germany with Prussia at the helm. To do so, he needed to defeat Austria, the other big player in German affairs, 
but to defeat Austria, he had to be sure that France would not intervene against him. At a meeting with French Emperor Napoleon III at Biarritz in 1865, Bismarck hinted that he would allow France some kind of hegemony over Belgium and Luxembourg in exchange for French neutrality in the upcoming conflict between Russia and Austria. And sure enough, in the Seven Weeks' War of 1866, Napoleon did not intervene as Bismarck's Prussian army crushed the Austrians. Having carried out his side of the bargain, in early 1867 Napoleon offered the cash-strapped William III, King of the Netherlands and Grand Duke of Luxembourg, five million Dutch guilders in return for Luxembourg. When news broke of this impending deal, German public opinion reacted furiously, as Luxembourg was felt to be culturally German and had even been a member of the German customs union, the Zollverein, since 1842. Facing this pressure back home, Bismarck reneged on his vague promises and threatened war should the deal go through. Napoleon did not want war, but facing mounting political opposition at home, he could not afford to lose face by backing down. He thus issued his own threat of war if the Prussians did not withdraw their troops which still occupied the fortress of Luxembourg. With a major war imminent, the great powers of Europe gathered in London to reach a peaceful settlement which would determine Luxembourg's future to this day. Under the terms of the Second Treaty of London, the great powers affirmed the independence and neutrality of the Grand Duchy of Luxembourg. Prussian troops withdrew from the fortress, which was partially destroyed, and Luxembourg would continue to be ruled by the House of Orange-Nassau in a personal union with the Netherlands. And so, by 1867, the Grand Duchy of Luxembourg was a virtually independent state, which takes us to the final piece of the story. From 1815 to 1890, Luxembourg was ruled by three kings of the Netherlands. When King William III died in 1890, however, the titles would diverge. William had only one child, a daughter called Wilhelmina. But Luxembourg, for some quaint historical reason relating back to the old Holy Roman Empire, was governed by Salic law, which meant that women could not inherit the throne. The Dutch, progressive as they were, had no such law, and thus Wilhelmina became Queen of the Netherlands until she abdicated in 1948. William's successor as Grand Duke of Luxembourg, therefore, would thus be the next available male heir. And incredibly, William's closest male relative was his 17th cousin once removed, Adolf. Adolf had been the last sovereign Duke of Nassau until the Duchy of Nassau was abolished in 1866, and at 73 he became the new Grand Duke of Luxembourg, and his great-great-grandson, Henry, remains on the throne today. So to conclude, how has Luxembourg remained independent up to the 21st century? It's a story of geopolitical importance, of a determination to be neither French or German, but in reality Luxembourg's independence is nothing more than a historical accident. And here at the Luxembourg History Podcast, we wouldn't have it any other way. That's all we've got for today, so thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next time for the second episode of the Luxembourg History Podcast. This episode was based on articles by Natalie Lodi, hosting and scripts adaptation by Tom Tutton, and production by Martin Johnson. Brought to you by RTL Today. <laughs>